Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith, and I'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. You know, here at Ministry Watch, we bring you news about Christian ministries as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy. And we do all of that designed to help you become a better steward of the resources God has entrusted to you. On today's program, the Ministry Watch Extra, we present a recent conversation I had with the president of the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability, Michael Martin. In 1977, Senator Mark Hatfield convened a group of ministry leaders to see how they could stave off threats by the federal government to regulate Christian ministries. Two years later, in 1979, that meeting resulted in the formation of the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. The ECFA was successful in this sense. Government regulators turned their attention elsewhere. And for the past 40 years, we have had essentially no new regulations on the Christian nonprofit sector. Even though transparency advocates say reforms to the Christian nonprofit space are badly needed. The ECFA has also been successful at establishing standards for financial behavior. The ECFA's seven integrity standards for nonprofits has become something of a gold standard in the Christian ministry space. It's an excellent document that sets the bar high for Christian ministries. However, the ECFA's record of enforcement of these standards over the years has been spotty at best. Some of the biggest frauds, scams, and scandals of the past half century have involved Christian ministries while they were still members of the ECFA. I think of, for example, the Jim and Tammy Faye Baker PTL scandal of the 1980s, the Foundation for New Era Philanthropy in the 1990s, and more recently, scandals at Willow Creek, Gospel for Asia. Those were all organizations that were members of the ECFA when news broke of their bad behavior. But now the ECFA has a new president. Michael Martin became the president of the ECFA in 2020 after serving nine years on the ECFA staff, including a tenure as the executive vice president. He's both a lawyer and a certified public accountant. And since 2013, he has been co-author of the annual Zondervan Ministers Tax and Financial Guide and the Zondervan Church and Nonprofit Tax and Financial Guide. Because of COVID restrictions, Michael Martin and I had this conversation remotely. I was in my home office in Charlotte, North Carolina, and Michael was in Winchester, Virginia. Michael Martin, welcome to the program. Hey, Warren. It's great to be with you. Well, you know, let's begin with some basics. Uh, Tell me about the ECFA. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to share a little bit about ECFA and our work and First of all, I guess I should say thank you because I know Ministry Watch uh, does a lot of work to help folks know about ECFA, keeping everyone up to date on changes in the ECFA database. Uh, and as I understand it too, Ministry Watch, I know factors ECFA membership into the transparency grades that you know you all give your ministries. So we really appreciate that. You bet. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe for those of, uh, you know, listeners who aren't as familiar with our work, ECFA, and I'll just break out what that stands for. <laughs> That's the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. We've been around for over 40 years as really a financial accountability partner for ministries. 
but in that we we serve both ministries and givers. So I'll just share a little bit about how we serve ministries. I think, you know, as a ministry, ECFA really means being part of a ministry community that cares deeply about stewarding ministry finances with integrity. And I know that's important to folks at Ministry Watch as well, but being a part of ECFA as a ministry, it helps build trust, build confidence with, with donors. Um, it also warrant, it helps ward off the threat of burdensome regulation by the government, which is really a key part of our founding here at ECFA over 40 years ago. Uh, folks should know there really is a, a quite a thorough vetting process uh, involved in becoming a member of ECFA. There's also an annual membership renewal process, but we just ran these numbers in 2020. About 35% of organizations who initially apply for ECFA membership are eligible to join right away. And then for other organizations, uh, you know, that have applied, we also offer free coaching and resources to help them meet the standards. So that's a little bit about what it means to be a, a ministry member of ECFA. I'll also say we do a lot of education as well in terms of helping ministries comply with the ECFA standards with webinars with ebooks, sample policies, and more. So that's that's really it from a ministry standpoint. Uh, I can also share a little bit from a giver standpoint as well. Yeah, I'd like for you to do that, Michael, but let me pause uh, just for a moment there because you said a couple of things there that were interesting that I want to follow up with. Number one was that uh, if I heard you right, 30% of the organizations that apply for the ECFA can join right away. But if I'm doing my math right, that means that 70% may not be eligible the first time around. And it, it requires some um, coaching and some internal compli some compliance um, to get up to snuff. Am I hearing that right? And if so, what are some of the things that they would maybe fall short on? Yeah, that's right. With with one uh, slight tweak, and I'll say it's about 35%, so a little bit over a third. Uh, and those are folks that are, you know, like I said, when they apply for membership, they're, they're ready to go right away. They've been tracking with our standards and uh, have done a lot of the homework and due diligence to meet what we call our seven standards of responsible stewardship. Uh, but, you know, Warren, you also mentioned the the other folks that apply as well that were able to offer that free coaching and resource. What are some of the common areas that our team helps work through? I would say the number one is having financial statements that are prepared by an outside CPA, which helps bring some objectivity into the process. There's a lot of ministries we work with that that's one of their last major assignments. Uh, maybe they have their board processes in place, they're uh, fundraising with integrity, but they maybe they're a smaller organization or just recently getting started, uh, and, and they do need to engage uh, an outside CPA uh, for the process of getting their financial statements. I would say that's the number one area that we work through. And then, Warren, the second one uh, that also sometimes requires attention is coming into compliance with ECFA's governance standard, which is really fundamental as well, but making sure that there's uh, at least five individuals that are serving on the board and that a majority of them are what we call independent. Let's stick to the ministry side of this before we move on to the donor side. I want to give you, a, uh, obviously, an opportunity to say uh, some more about the donor stuff. But again, on the ministry side, Michael, so a ministry gets its house in order and becomes a member of the CFA. You talked about that annual renewal of the membership. How rigorous is that annual renewal? Because I think you and I both know that sometimes ministries start out well, but 
run into trouble along the way? How, how closely do you look at them on an annual basis? And what happens to a ministry that maybe doesn't uh, meet the standards after they've been at it for a couple of years? That is a great question. I appreciate you bringing that up because uh, that really helps underscore too um, really how seriously ECFA takes uh, the process of overseeing compliance with our members. Uh, you know, I know you're aware and, and other folks who are listening of other, and we, by the way, we also use the term accreditation sometimes or certification when we also talk about membership, which is really, those are synonymous terms, but ECFA operates on an annual accreditation model, whereas there's others, uh, say in hospital environments or higher ed, where maybe it's just only every several years. But ECFA actually goes through a thorough process each year in making sure that all of our now uh, over 2,500 members, 2,530 uh, as of the recording, uh, are really in compliance with those standards uh, on an annual basis. And those membership renewals that are submitted to us, we're actually right in the middle of one of our busy renewal seasons, but they are actually looked at by a team of CPAs and other professionals that we have on staff. And now we're not doing the work of the outside auditors, but we are going through the process of reviewing the ministry's latest uh, annual financial statements any updates or changes that have been made from a board governance standpoint to make sure, uh, you know, board members rotate and leadership changes. So we're making sure that, you know, they're continuing to be in compliance with the board governance requirement. Uh, we're also digging into some specific questions and we change them too from year to year. So it's not always the same set of questions, uh, but making sure that the organization continues to be committed to compliance with the standards. And as our team of CPAs and other professionals are reviewing that membership renewal process, we'll often engage in conversation with members as well. Uh, if there's any questions that come up or there's steps that need to be taken to be sure that they do stay in compliance. So that's kind of the ministry side. Talk to me about some of your services on the donor side. No, that's great. I uh, appreciate that as well. So from a from a giver standpoint, what I would say is, and, and many folks, uh, you know, once we kind of describe ECFA and that seal, they say, oh, yeah, like I recognize that seal is often on uh, the websites or the fundraising materials of ministries that I that I give to. Um, so really, as a giver, when you see that ECFA seal on a ministry's website, on their fundraising materials, it's really a sign of a ministry that has voluntarily stepped up to be held accountable to operating with high standards. So that's another distinction. Our process is one that really requires voluntary uh, you know, an organization to come forward on their own to be a part of ECFA. So I think that that can help provide some great confidence to givers. Some different practical ways too, Warren, that we serve uh, givers as well is they can see a current list of ECFA members on our website. Uh, we also post any membership changes that have taken place in the last year. And then Warren, there's also an opportunity as well for givers. Um, if there's interactions with an organization that's part of ECFA and a giver, let's say even has concerns about an organization's compliance with the ECFA standards, there's a very easy process for folks to even submit concerns or questions that they might have about a ministry through our website. And we pay very close attention to all of those contacts that come in as well. So that's just another form of accountability uh, that the ECFA provides with givers. 
Well, Michael, I appreciate that overview of what the ECFA does very much. But of course, um, I wouldn't be me <laughs> if I didn't ask you a few sort of devil's advocate questions because, uh, you know, the ECFA um, over the years uh, has done a lot of great work. I do, though, think that there are um, some areas where the ECFA has taken some criticism for. Uh, you mentioned, for example, that whenever a ministry is out of compliance with your standards that um, they and, and they are being they're asked to leave they're forced to leave the ECFA you post that uh, on your website but um, I think a lot of folks don't really know that um, they will think that an organization is a member of the ECFA uh, that sometimes the organizations themselves will continue to put your logo on their websites what do you do to police these um, ministries that are maybe are bad operators or at least don't comply with your standards anymore. I mean, and, and they're still flying the ECFA flag and, um, and maybe their longtime donors think that they still are members. Sure. No, that's, that's a great question. And what I would say to that, Warren, is uh, there really is a very, uh, you know, solid due diligence process that ECFA works through. Like I mentioned, any time that a concern would either be something that we've seen internally through our work that we do with the annual membership renewal process and the monitoring that we do of our members, but also in those instances where maybe it is uh, a giver um, or someone who's been on staff at an organization who would share a concern and they've gone through the process of trying to work with the ministry and they haven't been resolved, so maybe they come to us. Or uh, quite frankly, there's also um, some things that off, you know, we'll see uh, maybe that have been even reported in media or otherwise that we'll follow up on. Uh, and ECFA does have a process in place, uh, you know, to work with an organization to go through a formal review process. And, you know, we do do this work in a spirit of we never make assumptions uh, regarding concerns that have been raised because, you know, nine times out of 10, it can be uh, a misunderstanding uh, and that sort of thing. But we do take all of those concerns very seriously and uh, follow up on those um, as well. And, you know, we also, this is probably something that should be uh, you know, clarified as well for folks who are kind of watching from the outside with ECFAs. We also follow a redemptive uh, biblical approach to compliance with the standards. And so we're always looking to, even in those instances where maybe an organization has gone out of compliance with the standards, what we're trying to do is also to help restore them back into compliance with membership whenever it's possible to do so. Um, and in those situations where uh, either that can't be done in a timely fashion or there's a, an organization that, uh, you know, or maybe a, a very egregious violation or an organization that's not willing to make the changes. Uh, in those instances, ECFA does, like you mentioned, have the uh, the ability under our bylaws and our agreement with, with our members to either suspend or terminate membership. And uh, we, we hope that's, you know, not the case, but uh, ECFA does have latitude to do that, to really, like you said, protect the integrity of the seal yeah. and what ECFA stands for. Well, that's right. And I know for a fact that you have terminated some memberships, or at least in some cases, like Wycliffe Associates within the past year. Y'all didn't terminate them, but they, vo <laughs> they, they voluntarily resigned while they were under review. So you certainly you know, created an environment where they knew they couldn't stay in the ECFA unless they were willing to do some things that y'all were requiring them to do. So I guess there is some accountability that comes of that process, even whenever they voluntarily resign. 
Right, and you're, and you're correct too. Something else, Warren, that you mentioned that we do as a service to givers, and quite frankly, we need to do a better job about communicating that it's out there, but that is publishing the list of organizations or where, where there's been changes in membership, um, either because of voluntary resignations, and, and you'll see, you know, there's quite a number of those that are on our website. That's not all folks that have just walked away and said, well, ECFA doesn't have value, but that's also some, like I mentioned, who maybe are smaller organizations struggling financially, they're not able to keep up with the annual uh, CPA interaction or maybe the board governance requirements. And so we do have some resignations that happen around renewal times or whenever there's a review process in place. Um, if there's a, an open review and an organization were to be, uh, you know, resign at that point or to be suspended or terminated, it would show up on the list in that way. And then we also, I think this is another really helpful tool that we have as well. We also have a list of who are some of the most recent additions to the ECFA membership as well? They're also published on that same list. Well, Michael, I want to uh, kind of, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds here, but I do want to ask a process question because it sort of bugs me a little bit or, or um, I've been curious about. Um, at Ministry Watch, we really think it's important for Christian ministers to release their Form 990s. That is a step that any ministry can do. You mentioned a few moments ago that um, one of the reasons that the organization, an organization might end their membership in the ECFA is because they can no longer afford an audit because an audit from an outside CPA firm, you know, costs money. And um, I, I guess I'm just curious, why don't you guys require a Form 990 to be released? There are a fair number, and I would say that's a growing number of organizations that are ECFA members that do not release their Form 990s. They claim the church exemption. What's your thinking about that? Yeah, no, that's a great question as well. And uh, I would just point folks back to, so they can see specifically what we require at ECFA is uh, our standard five, the transparency standard, which uh, really has been uh, a standard that has stood the test of time. I think when ECFA came out with this standard 40 plus years ago, we were really seen as pioneers and trailblazers requiring an organization to uh, not only have uh, an annual audit, uh, and now that has also been expanded to reviews and compilations as well for smaller members, uh, organizations of smaller sizes. But uh, ECFA is really a pioneer 40 years ago in requiring that transparency uh, and continues to do so to this day. Um, and we really you know, do believe that that's appropriate level transparency. But I will comment on the Form 990 piece as well and say, I know that there are there's some different legal reasons why uh, a ministry might seek that classification really for religious freedom related considerations. Uh, we, we definitely don't think that it's uh, appropriate uh, for an organization to pursue uh, that avenue simply as just a, a desire to avoid disclosure. We don't think that that should be the motivating factor. Really, we think that um, organizations may appropriately, with the advice of their legal and tax counsel, you know, feel like that's the right approach for religious freedom or other considerations, uh, but really don't advocate that just simply out of a desire not to uh, fully disclose their financial information. Well, I appreciate the religious uh, freedom concerns a great deal, and I've had a lot of conversations with Alliance Defending Freedom on this point, but I can tell you that uh, I think there's a big fear and a little risk in that, especially when it comes to releasing a Form 990. I mean, there's there is uh, if there was a real religious liberty 
threat by releasing a Form 990, that wouldn't explain why the vast majority, and by vast majority, I mean probably 95 to 98% of Christian ministries still do release the 990. I guess my question is that while some of these organizations say that they're concerned about religious liberty, I, I can't think of a reason other than an attempt to hide information from the public that they would actually make that make that choice. Can you? Yeah, I think, you know, and I've had a lot of those conversations with ministry leaders as well. And, uh, you know, I can't say, Warren, that I mean, and we're talking about organizations that are members of ECFA. So these are these are folks that I think are committed to accountability, transparency and integrity. Um, you know, for those that I've talked with, it's really not an issue about avoiding transparency. I think for all of them, it is it is a serious conversation about uh, religious freedom and what should be um, the right avenues to pursue in that way. But uh, I mean, I certainly appreciate your question and where you're coming from, but that's not that's not the sense that I've picked up on in terms of talking with folks about what their motivations are in pursuing that. Right, right. Let me, uh, Michael, again, ask you one more sort of devil's advocate question, and that is that one of the concerns or one of the criticisms that over the years has been leveled against the uh, ECFA is that there's an inherent conflict of interest in uh, charging organizations for um, sort of admission to the club, so to speak. In other words, can you really perform uh, an exercise of accountability over an organization that is also really, in effect, a customer. Would you answer that concern? Absolutely. And these are great questions, by the way. I, I appreciate you raising them because I know they, they're on the minds of folks, and uh, that would be a question that comes up from time to time. You know, Warren, I will say, you know, the really in all practicality, like here at ECFA with having now over 2,500 members, and I've been with ECFA for, for almost a decade now uh, in different roles. You know, I have never once uh, seen a situation, I'm a, I've never been involved with one, I've never seen a situation where even as the ECFA board is processing these things, that an organization's membership fee would at all be factored into uh, the decision about what is the right thing to do. Uh, with respect to whether or not an organization should be in compliance with the ECFA or any of those compliance decisions. Um, and maybe let me also just help folks understand a little bit too more about the fee structure. It is on a sliding scale. Uh, really, the motivation behind that is we want ECFA membership it, not to be cost prohibitive, uh, depending on the size of the organization, because we run anything from an organization, the entry point is at 50,000 in total revenue each year, all the way to some of the largest, you know, household names in Christian ministry uh, that are out there. But even Warren, for those that are on that larger uh, size uh, and also would pay a larger ECFA membership fee, even the largest fee that would come into ECFA is, is really, I think, one half of 1% of our total budget each year. So we're really not talking about, uh, you know, in terms of the finances of a member paying a fee, that that really tipping the scales, so to speak. Um, and, and again, personally, you know, I've never seen that be the motivation at all, but I can certainly understand the question. Well, uh, and I appreciate that answer as well. And, and, uh, and, and I will say in a, in a um, spirit of sort of conciliation here, you guys have gone after some of your biggest members. I remember a number of years ago, you guys, um, I think, put uh, Samaritan's Purse on a suspended <laughs> uh, list, uh, suspended their membership for a number of 
of months or maybe even more than that because they had fallen out of compliance. They came back into compliance and they you know renewed their membership. You've kicked out big organizations like Gospel for Asia in the past as well. Um, so I, I um, you know do want to acknowledge that. But I, but I also uh, Michael want to ask you to address this concern or this issue as well. And of course I you know I run into this. Uh, in my work at Ministry Watch and whenever I've done reporting when I was at World Magazine, there are more than a million Christian organizations in this country. And as you said, 2,500 of them are members of the EZFA. That's a lot, but it's only a tiny fraction of the total number. There are a lot of folks that just say, if they're bad operators, they just choose not to join the ECFA. And um, there's really kind of no stigma for not being a member. There may be there may be a benefit to being a member, but a lot of donors just kind of don't count it against them if they're not members. Um, do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think with respect to that, Warren, kind of uh, something else that I would consider folks who have that perspective uh, or offer encouragement to consider is that, you know, ECFA, you know, like you mentioned, has just north of 2,500 members today. Um, but a lot of the, you mentioned, uh, I can't, I can't remember the exact number that you mentioned, uh, but a lot of organizations that are out there that are not members of ECFA, uh, a lot of those who, you know, are out there that are not members of ECFA for the most part, many of those would also be smaller organizations that that may not be eligible to meet ECFA's membership requirements. So, you know, I would I would tend to say that probably the universe of organizations that uh, because we're talking about kind of the gold standard meeting some of these high standards of integrity and accountability, and some smaller organizations just don't have the budget, they don't have the sophistication necessarily to to be members of ECFA and bear the seal. I I would suggest that the universe of organizations uh, that could be members of ECFA within the the parachurch nonprofits, at least, is probably closer to 20,000 members or or potential members of ECFA. Um, And to your point, we're definitely, you know, working hard to do everything that we can to encourage even those that are within that universe who could qualify uh, to to take those steps uh, to be members of ECFA. And we appreciate the work that Ministry Watch does even as well in publishing who, you know, which organizations are members of ECFA, because I think that does encourage those folks to take that step forward. Michael, I'd like to pivot once again in our conversation, and um, uh, because we have talked about the seven standards of the ECFA a couple of times in our conversation, and I've got to tell you that from where I sit, from my point of view, I think that's probably, those seven standards is the probably the greatest thing that the ECFA has done. That whether an organization complies with those standards or not, whether they're members of the ECFA or not, the world knows that there is a standard. In fact, there are these seven standards, and you guys go into a lot of detail about, you know, what what does it mean to be in compliance or out of compliance on that. I I don't want you to name each and every standard, but can you just say maybe a minute or two about those standards and what they cover and uh, how they came about? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. And uh, because I know our time is limited here on the podcast, just a quick reference point for folks. You can go to ecfa.org slash standards uh, and actually take a look at those. Uh, along with each of the seven standards, there's also commentary uh, that really helps provide context around you know how to apply the standards, what do they mean. And also uh, on our project list for 2021 is also to come out with a series of what we're calling the ECFA Standards Simplified uh, to, again, and kind of help unpack what did these standards mean and, and how do they apply. And so be on the lookout for those. But really, Warren, it begins with, you know, standard one, which is the doctrinal uh, standard that organizations that are part of ECFA, that they are evangelical in nature, uh, you know, have a statement of faith and operating in accordance with biblical truths and practices. That's so foundational uh, to who we are at ECFA. But there's also the governance standard, which we touched on actually earlier in the podcast, but having that majority independent board of at least five members performing responsible governance. We've also talked touched on another standard, which is financial oversight and making sure that an organization has, depending on their size, the appropriate level of engagement with an outside CPA with uh, an annual audit or review or a compilation of the financial statements. Uh, we talk about use of resources, complying with laws, uh, transparency we've already touched on today as well. And then, you know, just a couple others would be making sure that there is a sound process in place for compensation setting of the top leader and avoiding conflicts of interest. And then finally, integrity in fundraising is that seventh standard where things like truthfulness and communications and honoring give, giver expectation and intent are some of the requirements of uh, the ECFA membership. Yeah. Well, they're just really uh, wise standards, and um, I have used them a great deal over the years in my journalistic efforts to kind of, uh, you know, hold organizations accountable and to make the point that um, that even even if they're not members of the ECFA, the world should know that this organization is not in compliance, and, and here's the uh, here's the particular standard that they're not in compliance with. Michael, I want to pivot for one final time in our conversation and just kind of you know bring us up to date here on uh, where the ECFA is right now. I know one of the things that you guys do is look at financial trends and. Uh, you know, kind of learnings for ministry leaders, um, and uh, you publish those uh, as white papers and as uh, uh, e-books or e-articles from time to time. Um, what are you seeing right now? What are some of the financial trends and learnings from 2020? And and uh, again, looking forward here to 2021. Sure. Well, I think uh, folks probably have the impression by now, but we are numbers people <laughs> here at ECFA. So, uh, you know, we're always tracking those. But but Warren, especially in 2020, we just really leaned in uh, to making sure that we're on top of uh, the trends and what uh, I mean with the with COVID and the pandemic impact. I mean, it was just, um, you know, such a, a volatile situation day by day, not knowing what, you know, would happen. And so one of the things that we did is enlisted Dr. Warren Bird, who's our vice president of research, a PhD researcher, uh, to really help lead the charge with our members. We did uh, every three months, we kind of checked in and we said, how are things going? Uh, what kind of trends, what challenges are you seeing financially? But then also, what is your outlook? You know, how do you feel about the next three months that are ahead? And uh, Warren, one of the uh, 
I mean, I'm an optimistic person by nature, but I was even surprised by just how high the level of optimism, that was just a key word that kept coming back from the evangelical ministries and churches that were taking our survey. Uh, but I don't know, maybe we shouldn't be as, as surprised as maybe some of us were by those findings, but that was certainly encouraging. And then, you know, I'll mention that some more good news, which was as of our last reported uh, survey, and that covered through the first three quarters of 2020. We're about to engage in another survey. Uh, actually, just probably as this podcast is airing, we're getting ready to release that survey. But the good news was that even for a slight majority, they saw that cash giving in 2020 was the same or better as 2019. Uh, compared to that same time period. And then even for those organizations that, uh, um, you know, didn't have same or better giving, the majority said that their cash giving was down only one to 10% uh, for 2020 compared to 2019. So that's that's definitely some news to rejoice in. And then you asked about 2021. I mean, I don't know. I think we're all kind of waiting to see what comes together. Uh, but lots of encouraging signs from 2020, even though many ministries, of course, walked through some challenging times. Uh, we also saw a lot of God's faithfulness and ministries uh, continuing to press on. Um, even in spite of some of the challenges. And so the survey that I mentioned that's going to poll uh, that fourth quarter of 2020, we'd love to have the help of all those who are listening participate. So we'll be sure to share that uh, with you at Ministry Watch as well for folks to participate. Well, I appreciate that very much. And you know, Michael, that would probably be uh, that optimistic note, that hopeful note would probably be a good way for us to end. I've got uh, so many more questions, and I know that the ECFA does so much more. Uh, uh, you do an annual tax and finance guide and provide other kinds of resources. We'll just have to talk about that the next time we get together. <laughs> that sounds great. I'll look forward to it. You bet. Well, thank you. I'm Michael Martin with the ECFA. Thanks so much for being on the program today. That brings to a close my conversation with Michael Martin, the president of the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. To find out more about Ministry Watch, you can, of course, go to ministrywatch.com. A couple of housekeeping items before we go. First, if you would rate the program, that would be an easy and free way for you to support this program, and it doesn't cost you a dime. If you do want to make a financial contribution, we are a donor-supported ministry. To do that, you can go to ministrywatch.com and hit the donate button at the top of the page. I should mention that during the month of February, if you make a donation to Ministry Watch, we'll send you as our thank you gift a copy of Brian Fickert's book, When Helping Hurts. It's a classic in the world of charity and philanthropy, and I think every Christian donor needs to have a copy of it in their library. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Steve Gandy. We get database, technical, and editorial support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen DeBerry, Christina Darnell, and Casey Suddeth. I'm Warren Smith, and I'd like to give a special thanks to Michael Martin of the ECFA for joining me on today's program. Until next time, may God bless you.